Good morning. So as you know, we've been going through um, the book of Ephesians, and uh, this particular section is on marriage, the section that we just happened to fall on for this particular week. And last night as I was going to sleep, it really hit me just um, the profundity of this particular passage and uh, of the importance of speaking about marriage and how important marriage is. Um, I just want you to, to know that I am a reformed feminazi. Um, <laughs> I used to, uh, used to be kind of a little bit of a man-hater. I think that kind of had to do with my control issues and everything. And uh, pretty angry at some abuses that had taken place in my life. And so, um, you know, the Lord through his word, you know, the word of God is still the most powerful thing that we have. There is nothing else that is more powerful than the word of God. And so I, I want you to understand um, this message is for everybody, even if you're not married, if you're single or divorced or widowed or called to be single, this message is for everyone. So I don't want you to check out. And the reason that I say that is even if this particular passage might not apply to your life, either now or maybe even in the future, you are called to pray for Christian marriages. Because I don't know if you know this, but uh, marriage is really under attack. Anybody aware of that fact? By the way, we have an extension campus down in American Fork. And I just wanted to say hi to those guys. Can you say hi to American Fork? This message is for you guys. So um, anyway, uh, there were a series of events that really changed my life and, and, and the way that I viewed marriage and the way that I viewed the word of God concerning that. Um, so I just want you to know that, that um, this message is really, really profound. We're going to talk about, this week we're going to talk about the roles of husbands and wives and then, um, so I'm going to cover it this week, and then Ira is going to cover it next week. So I'm going to do it from the woman's perspective, and he's going to do it from the man's perspective. And then the following week on the 23rd, I'm going to talk about the profound mystery of Christ in the church in the discussion about marriage. So would you pray with me before we get going? Lord, thank you for your word. Father, I really do feel the full weight of it, just how important this is on your heart. Lord, and we recognize, God, that these days are evil. We recognize, Lord, that marriage is under attack. We know that all the forces of hell want to destroy what you created and what you instituted. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray your spirit would just reign and rule in this room right now. Open the hearts and the minds of those who are listening. Give us a revelation, Lord. Show us how you view marriage. Show us how you view the roles of husbands and wives, Lord. Father, help us not fall into any distortions or any um, misconceptions based on our hurts, based on our past. Help us not even fall into any cultural ideas that aren't in your word. 
We just surrender to you this morning and we thank you, God, that you're in the business of changing us to make us more and more in your image. And we welcome that this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, you know, I wanted to start out today, um, you know, telling a couple of little Christian marriage jokes, but it was just too depressing. <laughs> it's like all the, all the jokes about marriage are just so sad, you know? It's just like, uh, marriage is such an amazing, beautiful, incredible gift from God. And I'm hoping that today, through this process of going through the word, that each one of your marriages is strengthened. And if you're not married, that your resolve to pray for marriages would be increased. You know, this message is not just about marriage. Um, It's about Christian marriage. So I really want to make that distinction. First of all, I want to define the terms. Christian means that that this is for people who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have surrendered to him, who are born again of his spirit. Okay, this is not just talking about marriage, you know, because there's different types of marriage. I mean, actually, there's different definitions. There's the definition of marriage is a sacred institution between a husband and a wife. Then there's the type of marriage, it's just marriage between two people, And then there's the marriage of any two individual items coming together. For example, ketchup and mayo makes fry sauce. It's the marriage of ketchup and mayo. You know, it's... Anyway, what we're talking about is definition number one. This is for believers because Paul is instructing believers in the book of Ephesians. And if you know the historical context, the book of Ephesians, that was a messed up church. That church had some serious issues. I mean, the, <clears throat> there was a lot of weird stuff going on there. You know, the, a lot of the women that were in the church that had, had come to Christ had been shrine prostitutes. And they had some serious control issues. And they had a lot of distortions about truth. And so Paul had to be really clear and really specific in some of these passages. Um, I just want to say that if you are a Christian and if you are married... Your marriage has a 100% chance of survival if you are both seeking God. You know, for 28 years, Eric and I never, ever uttered the word that starts with a D. You know? I mean, there was a country singer who used D-I-V-O-R-C-E. It's like, oh my goodness, you want to sing a song about that? It's so devastating and sad. But we never uttered that word. It was never an option for us. And I'm, I'm telling you that if you are both seeking the Lord, your marriage can survive. I want to offer you that hope. I know a lot of people come into this particular passage kind of like, oh, no. But this is such a beautiful, beautiful passage. So... Um, I just want, if you could indulge me just a little bit, I called it divorce-proofing marriage. And the passage is Ephesians 5, 21 through 30. Isn't that a lovely picture? That's my wedding. (laughs) Self-indulgent. Yeah, that was us praying at the altar. You see Pete's mullet kind of has a little glow over it. (laughs) There we are. Aww. 
There we are, starting the journey. Isn't he so handsome? Look at him. There's Pete blessing us at our reception. <laughs> Mullets were cool then, okay, so don't judge. They were. They were. I know it's hard to believe that. There we are, cutting the cake. You can see the trust issues. I'm like, you better not. <laughs> Actually, I told him that day, I said, because <clears throat> we, we waited for our wedding night, and I said, if you put cake in my face, guess what? <laughs> no action. <laughs> so... Sorry. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Let's get to the word of God. Am I read? Ephesians 5.21. It says further. Now, you remember what it all happened up before that. You know, we're talking about the character of God and how amazing God is and how we should live and, you know, to live as children of light and that we should speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it's talking about a further... I want you to get this. This is so profound. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what Christians were called to. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Okay, so you can see where this particular passage is open to a lot of misinterpretation, as you can imagine. I want to just state clearly and emphatically, this is we are not talking about any form of abuse. Okay, I just want to clear that up. If you are in a situation of abuse, you need to get that out in the light. You need to talk to someone about it. Talk to your, your community group leader or... You know, find someone that you can talk to because this is not in any way whatsoever justifying abuse of any kind. We are talking about mutual voluntary submission in verse 21. Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All Christians are called to submit to one another. Well, what does submit mean? Anybody know? Any ideas? Anybody? I know, you don't want to say it. To die to yourself. I always say, yeah, I'm trying this this new uh, dying to yourself thing. It's killing me. But, uh, sorry. Um, We are all called to submit to one another. This isn't just, well, all women need to submit to all men. Okay? Or, Or all wives need to submit to every man. We are talking about all believers laying down their lives for their friends, being like Christ, sacrificing for others, 
giving up yourself for others, okay? We're all called to be submissive to one another. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You know, when you take this into the context of marital relationship, any relationship really, and you think that whatever you do, it's not just this way. You know, I love the the example they say that, you know, the cross is a perfect example of how our relationship should be. That is the longest one. That is the one that represents something between us and God. But then this one is between us and other people. You know, that one's the most important because if this is right, if your relationship with the Lord is right, the way you deal with other people is also going to be right and healthy. And so if you do whatever you do unto the Lord rather than for someone else, then you're going to please God and you're going to get that inheritance as your reward. And I'm not talking about a works mentality, okay? I'm not saying that this is what's going to save you. I'm saying if you want to live the fullness of the Christian life, of the blessed life, the life that is complete and, and satisfying in the Lord. Selfishness is, I think, one of the biggest killers of marriages. I think people go into marriage, they, they, they watch too many movies. That's really what the problem is. People watch these romantic comedies which are always so predictable anyway. But you watch these romantic comedies and you think that's real life. Just like you think like Jack Bauer and 24 is real life. I mean, no, it's just really not real life. It's, it, romantic comedies are just as fictional as any other kind of movie like that or whatever. It's like it's, it's they meet each other, they immediately fall in love, and then they set out to just absolutely love one another and and they're so fulfilled in their relationship with one another and that's how it is and they live happily ever after. How many of you have that kind of a marriage? Anybody? Aw, that's so sweet. Jesus knows. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, that is so funny. (laughs) We'll talk later. The thing about submission is it must be mutual. You must submit to one another. I think, you know, I think that the word submit, submission, sub is to get under something. So it seems to me like our job as believers is to get under the mission for other people and to carry them closer to Christ. That's what our value, our, our, I mean, our main goal is as a church is to help people discover who they are and to become fully released in the gifts and callings that they've had. How much more important is that in our marriages that we get under the mission that God has for that person that we've committed our lives to, to support that, to support that mission. John 17, 23 Jesus is speaking and he's talking. This whole section is a prayer for believers. He's praying for us. Um, This is before he went to the cross. He was praying for us. And it says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one 
so that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus is talking about becoming one, that we could all be unified. And you know, the Bible says that the two shall become one flesh. It's talking about marriage. It's talking about how important it is that we're unified. And I think, you know, the whole process of marriage so often brings people further away. You know, it's like little, little bitterness, little unforgiveness, a little annoyance. It just causes this separation rather than people fighting to stay close, rather than iron sharpening iron. You know, because that person that you're married to knows you and they know your weaknesses and they know your flaws. But the thing is that if God wants to make us one, we have to have a lot of grace for each other. And we have to understand that it's not just about getting my needs met. You know, so many people go into marriage thinking, oh, I'm going to get married because then all of my dreams will come true. All of my needs will be met in this person. False. If you go into marriage with that as your, as your motivation, you're going to be so disappointed. And then you're going to start being ticked off at the person you're married to as though it were their fault. It's like you set up these expectations, they don't meet them, and you're mad at them. Like, who should you really be mad at? <laughs> You know, it's your fault. You set up these expectations. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, when we, <clears throat> I and them and they that we can become perfectly one. Now, he is talking about the body of Christ. So inherently, if you're both believers, you are both striving to become one. When we understand who, who we are and how we can bless our spouse rather than trying to get our own needs met, we're going to be so much more blessed and so much more fulfilled. It took me such a long time to catch on to this. I kept waiting for him to bless me first before I felt like I needed to bless him. And then it was like, the Lord just convicted me. I need to be the first one. I need to be the one. It's between me and the Lord. Whatever I did, whatever I do, is between the Lord and I. If we are always constantly trying to have our own needs met, we will always be unsatisfied. And, well, I'm going to get into this a little bit later, talking about um, the voluntary submission. You can never make someone submit. You know, when we first got married, Eric would go, you need to submit to me. And I'd be like, you need to love me. It's like, yeah, because that worked, you know, trying trying to convict each other into into surrendering to what God was calling us to do. You can't make someone love you and you can't make someone submit to you. Submission must be voluntary. Philippians 2 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. So let's apply this to marriage. You know, if you're you're constantly talking about your rights or what you deserve, you're going to always be unhappy and unsatisfied. But if you start focusing on meeting the needs of someone else, preferring them over yourself. See, all these Christian principles can be applied to our marriages. 
I think the reason that that Christian divorces don't make it is because one or the other or both are not acting like Christians. And I'm not talking about Christians like you hear in the media. I'm talking about real Christ followers, disciples of Jesus. I heard a really good quote. Um, It says, if the grass looks greener on the other side, you should probably water your own lawn. Isn't that so good? You know, you, you go to these romantic comedies or, you know, you see these romances or whatever. And, you know, you think, oh, that's how I want it to be. That's how I want my marriage to be. I'm coming from the female perspective here. Hopefully men don't talk like that. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> but it all starts in your heart. It all starts in your heart. If you determine when you marry that person or when you're going to, Hopefully, there's going to be some repentance that's going to go on today, which means just changing the way you think, changing your mind. It all starts in your heart. And I really think that the main cause for Christian divorce is because they're not honoring God's mandates. You know, and that's why I'm saying your marriage can be 100% divorce proof. I'm going to get into it a little bit later. If you're married to a non-believer... Um, there are certain certain aspects of that that are much more complex <clears throat> because this this passage is talking about two believers coming together and and when that happens, then it is intended as a blessing. Submission is intended to be a blessing for both both parties <clears throat> submission. I think has, is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible. That we, we've applied all of these cultural and historical applications. But when you really break it down and you get way down into what this is really saying, <clears throat> it's saying, first of all, submit to one another all believers submit to one another. But then it's saying, because remember what was happening in, an F, happening in Ephesus is that these women were power grabbers. They were like control freaks. They were domineering, obnoxious women. You know, like the ones that it talks about in the Proverbs, you know, that beautiful women with no discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout, you know? It's like strange, but <clears throat> that's what it's talking about. Those women were like that. They weren't gentle and quiet like the Bible talks about. And not talking about being a mouse and just shrinking back, but it's talking about being at peace. That's what that word means, to be quiet, to to be at peace. And so when it says, wives, it means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Remember, you you cannot read this passage without taking into account Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. And here it's saying for all these strong, domineering women who are really uneducated in the spiritual things, it's saying, so submit to your husbands. You know, I really think that control is a huge issue that women wrestle with. And I think it goes back to the curse. You know, it goes back to Genesis 3 when it's saying, you know, your desire will be for your husband only and he will rule over you. I mean, it's, it's like... The woman wants to control, but it's saying that that's, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be anybody controlling anybody except the Spirit of God controlling us as believers. 
It says a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As a church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. I'll be honest, I could not stand this passage for the longest time. I wrestled with this passage because I kept thinking, are women just second rate? Like are women so much less important than men that they just have to give up everything and men just can just do whatever they want? I really thought that's, I I really struggled with the Lord until I realized we're all called to die to ourselves. We're all called to serve and to prefer others and to consider others better than ourselves. And you know, as we do this, as women do this unto their husbands, and begin to respect their husbands and treat their husbands with honor. I just, I love the principle of honor because honor always builds people up. But how often do we hear the stories of the wife who just emasculates her husband by just cutting him down and insulting him and making him feel like a kid? You know, women are called to serve their husbands and to discipline their children, not discipline their husbands and serve their children. You know, take that in the context. But too many women feel like they're supposed to mother their husbands. Men don't need mothering. The husbands don't need to be mothered. And part of this has to be by faith. For us wives, we have to respect our husbands and treat them with honor in the same way that we would do it unto the Lord. Remember that scripture in Colossians. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Not because he necessarily deserves it. You don't respect your husband because he's so respectable. You respect him and you honor him because the Lord calls you to do it. You guys are so very quiet today. You're all like, why didn't we go to a different church? <laughs> <clears throat> Submission is supposed to be a blessing. It is a blessing. When you do it unto the Lord, ladies, when you submit unto your husband as unto the Lord, it is a blessing. And there's a peace that comes through it. And again, please do not hear me saying you need to be a doormat. You can't have an opinion. You can't ever express yourself. I am talking about doing it unto the Lord treating your husband in a way that honors God. And that's why the Bible is so clear, you should not marry a non-believer. If you're a Christian, you should not marry someone who doesn't share your faith. You should not be unequally yoked with a non-believer because submission is meant as a blessing. But if if you're unequally yoked to someone who doesn't submit to Christ and doesn't love you as Christ loved the church, that's not a blessing. I, I hope that I, I'm not coming across too dogmatic or too black and white, but, but the Bible says in Psalms, and I don't know the address, but it says all of the ways of the Lord are good and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. All of his ways are right and true, but you have to take it in context of the whole Bible. It says a worthy wife is a crown for her husband but a disgraceful woman is cancer in his bones. You know, this, is, this passage I know has been abused and misused 
for selfish motivation for people, for men particularly, who have wanted to dominate, dominate women and control women and abuse women. And it's totally not the heart of God at all. It is not the heart of God. It's just like, you know, there are, there are so many misunderstood verses in the Bible, but when you really dig in and you really start going back, I, I, I have a friend, they do a thing called um, Greek for Geeks. I really love the, the original language, and I love going back to the original language and really studying it, and it's so easy to do it. You know, you can just Google it. When you're reading your... When you're reading your Bible, just Google, what does this mean? What is the original word and what is the context? Because so much is lost. And some of the things in the Bible are cultural. Like, for example, you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you do that? You lie. (laughs) How many of us greet with the holy kiss? I mean, it's clear. It's in the Bible. Greet one another with the holy kiss. Do we do that? And it says women should, should have their heads covered. You know, I mean, I know the black churches, they, the women, they wear their hats, honey, and they, they're following that mandate. <laughs> but, you know, there's all kinds of things, greeting with the holy kiss and all kinds of things that are just taken so out of context. And my pastor used to say, never use the word of God if you don't have the heart of God. You know, it says in Genesis 2.18 that that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. After God created him, it said it was not good for him to be alone. And it said that God created, and this is the Hebrew word, but and I'm sorry if you don't like the original language, but azer, which we don't have a word that's that's the exact definition. But what it encapsulates is it's been translated helpmate or helpmeet which isn't really a very good translation, especially in our modern culture. What it means is someone to complete or someone to come alongside. It's actually the same word that's used for strength and power. God is our, God is our help, our ever-present help in time of trouble. It's the same word as strength and power. It's the same word as someone who can come alongside. It doesn't mean it's, it's your little servant, your little slave that you can just boss around and order around. It it, it slipped into the English language through the old English word meet, which means to fit to or to correspond or to correlate to. That's really what this is talking about. But even in the church, we have distorted this principle. We've distorted this concept to mean women are second class. And, And please understand Again, I am not a feminist, feminazi, whatever. I'm a feminist, but I'm, you know. I don't think God is a misogynist, though, which means a hater of women. I don't think, I, I don't think that the God who says that it, there's no slave or free, no male nor female, says he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. I just have a really hard time thinking that he's saying men are superior Women are inferior, therefore women are supposed to just do whatever their husbands tell them to do, no matter what. Do you read that into this when you first read it? Do you think that's kind of what it means? Does it seem like that? It says what God intended 
when he created Eve was that she would be a power or a strength or someone to be his equal that could, be his, that could help him in the same way that the Holy Spirit helps us. Because clearly Adam needed some help, right? But that doesn't mean that Eve was supposed to come along and just dominate him. She is supposed to lay down her life for him in the same way he's supposed to lay down his life for her. You know, an unsubmitted wife, on the other hand, a woman who is a control freak or feels like she has to parent her husband can sabotage her own marriage and her own security and her own happiness. Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. Isn't the Bible so practical? It's better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby and complaining wife. Any, anybody convicted here? <laughs> a, uh, Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold on to something with greased hands. You know, I have a leak in my window. I'm so glad it doesn't rain here very often because I have this one leak and whenever it starts raining, I'm like, it's right in, it's right in my bedroom. It's, I hear this, oh, it is so annoying. And it's created like this wood rod or whatever you call it. And it's like, it is so annoying. But just that sound when you're trying to sleep, just hearing that, that's what it's like when you're a nagging and complaining wife. Anybody, you, wow, you guys... Did the coffee, is the coffee not working today? <laughs> but we can sabotage our own marriages by being control freaks and by being con- complaining and nagging. I mean, again, let's go back to the biblical principles. It says, do everything without arguing and complaining that you may be made blameless and pure, children of God, in a wicked and perverse generation in which you hold, you know what I'm saying, okay? Don't argue, don't complain, be Christ-like. Proverbs, or uh, I'm sorry, letter C, a submitted wife honors the Lord and her husband. Proverbs 31, 12 says she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Oh, this one is so convicting for me. So convicting. I spent so many years trying to, get my own needs met and trying to make him love me and make him do things the way I thought they should be done. I just wasted so much time. You know, I'm so glad we finally figured things out (laughs) in our later years. But wives, don't be that woman. Don't bring him harm. Bring him good Do it. Submit to him unto the Lord. Give up your rights. What you think you deserve. And watch him change. Watch him become a man of God. Watch him become a man who wants to love you as Christ loved the church. I'm going to let Ira go into this a lot more next week. But the role of the husband 
It says, husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, with all of the distortions that I've been talking about and how this has been, this passage has been so abused and and misused, you come to this part. How did Christ love the church? He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her or us, the bride, the body of Christ, to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Any guys want to sign up now? Let's, let's read that passage out of Ephesians 5. Wives, you submit. Really? She's only called to submit, you know, just to lay down her own agenda, but you're called to lay down your whole life. Okay? The husband sets the tone in the home through love. And this is not talking about love. You know, there's, I know a lot of you probably know this already, but there's, there's the different kinds of love that the Bible talks about. There's eros, which is romantic love. That's not what this is talking about. There's philios, which is like friendly love between friends or other believers. Philios, it's like you kind of love each other, you know. That's not what this is talking about. This is agapeo or agape love. This is unconditional love. This doesn't say, husbands, you need to only do this if your wife submits to you. Or you you don't just lay down your life for her or serve her just because you want something later on tonight. Okay? No strings attached. It doesn't say you love your wife as Christ loved the church if she deserves it. Because she might be a crabby, complaining, whining wife. But I don't see anywhere here it says you're exempt. Let's see. Nope. (laughs) You know, Jesus said while we were, or Paul says about us of Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, even if she is being a you-know-what. Fill in the blank. Even if she's being a whiner, even if she's complaining, even if she's nagging you, you are called to love her. And you are called to make her sparkle. I remember my pastor um, told us, in our premarital counseling, he said, he said, Jody, you are like the diamond that God wants to give to Eric. And he said, and Eric, you are the rag that's supposed to polish the diamond. (laughs) Husbands, loving your wives means that you make her the best possible person she could be. Not so that you can have her grab you a beer when you want to watch the game. That's not what this is. Submit to me, woman. Bring me a bud. That's really not what this is saying. Anybody read that into it? I don't. 
when the husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, he polishes her, makes her sparkle. When he's so busy trying to get his own needs met that he's neglecting her or he stays at work too late or he avoids her or he ignores her or he's so into ESPN. And I am all about ESPN. Trust me, I'm not saying, I'm just saying if you are doing these things and you are ignoring your wife, kind of maybe that might be the reason why she's a nag. I mean, of course, she's making her own choices. But why do you think so many women are compelled to nag? Because their husbands aren't paying attention to them. Their husbands aren't loving them. They're not making sure that she sparkles, that she becomes everything God called her to be. You know, when it says a husband is the head of the wife, this isn't talking about the boss over the wife. This is talking about the head, like the, the, the headwaters on a river. This is talking about the source through which everything should flow. The husband, that he sets the tone. That, that whatever flows through him should flow out through the wife and the kids. And that should be evident in the home. Whatever flows from the head is reflected in the rest of the downstream. And this isn't to exempt, exempt women. You know, you still, again, you submit as unto the Lord, no matter what your husband is doing, no matter what he's like. Again, this is not talking about abuse, but if your husband doesn't honor the Lord, you don't have the right... Did I offend you guys? I'm sorry. Dang it. I knew I was going to lose a few. <laughs> 1 Corinthians eleven seven says, A man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory, and a woman reflects God's glory. I wrestled with this passage too. I'm like, what? What does that mean? But you see, the thing is, if the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, he is reflecting what Jesus does for us as his body. And then we, as women, as wives, will reflect that love. Remember that scripture that I read before? It says that, that an a honorable wife is a crown for her husband. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman, it says her husband will rise up and call her blessed. You know, Eric did that for me. His goal in life was to see me become everything God had called me to be. He did, he was that rag you know, he did. He took this seriously. That his first and most important thing was to become unified with me and to lay down his life for me. He wasn't always perfect at it. He did have that whole human factor working against him. But he really was an example of this. Husbands are to be the first to serve, to honor, and to lay down their lives. Regardless of what your wife is doing. Husbands are to use their influence to bless. John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. You see, that robe represents the authority that Christ had because it was, he was a rabbinic he was a, a rabbi 
And when people saw they had those clothes on, they knew that this is a man who knows the scriptures. This is a, a man of authority. But it says that Christ took off that robe and set it aside. And he took on the garment of a servant, which was the towel that he wrapped around his waist. He took off what he could have used to dominate the disciples and set it aside. And instead, he got on his knees and he washed their feet, which was the basest of all acts of service. It was the most debased. Because, you know, think about it. They're walking around Jerusalem and there's animals in the streets and dung and stuff, you know? So the feet were the grossest part of the body. But Jesus got up and washed their feet. And then it says, it goes on and it says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he said, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends a message. But now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Men are called, husbands are called to love their wives in this way. And Jesus himself says, you will be blessed if you do this. Remember that all the things, all the spiritual principles are upside down. If you want to save your life, you lose it. The greatest among you is the servant. You know, all of that. You will be blessed as you do this unto the Lord. It says, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Husbands are called to love as Christ does. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? That's my religious voice. So if I ever start talking to you like that, just slap me. (laughs) Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourselves. What are men called to do? Love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your wife as yourself. There's no difference. And for women... Submit to your husband as to the Lord. Same thing. Ta-da! Right? If we're all Christ-like, it's all going to work out. It's going to be so great. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Guys, I'm going to give you a little secret here. Women, you can just, I don't know, tweet or, I don't know, text or. (sighs) Gentlemen, I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, but foreplay starts in the kitchen. (laughs) 
Do I need to define my terms here? Because I'm just not going to. There is nothing sexier than a man who serves his wife. She told me to say that. (laughs) It's the truth. Women, I heard this really weird thing. I don't know if I should even go here. I'm going to go here. Hi, Chris. So they did this study, and they took male sweat, and they put it on women's upper lip. They didn't tell them that. I I think it was Jimmy Evans was telling the story. This was this study, and then they monitored the effects, and women were, like, happy about that. (laughs) They didn't know it was male sweat, of course, because they would not have been happy about that. But think about what the implications of that are. You know, a lot of times, if you're tapping on your wife's shoulder at night and she's too tired, maybe it's because you didn't do enough. Maybe you should have taken part of that load. You know, maybe you could have offered to put the kids to bed or you could have maybe folded the laundry and put it away. Or Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone. But it's true. Our true Christianity is revealed in the home. You can be the most amazing Christian, but then you go home and you're a jerk. Guess what? Ah, Fail. Still your turn. Your true Christianity is measured by how you deal with your family and particularly if you're married with your spouse, the way you treat your spouse. I know why you guys are so quiet. (laughs) I understand (laughs) the secret of a happy and a healthy marriage is to just be Christ-like to each other. And not just in your actions, but in your thoughts towards one another. Recognize that your spouse, as much as they annoy you, are created in the image of God and they are precious to God. So precious, in fact, that he went to the cross for them. And I don't care how annoying your spouse is. I mean, when I say I don't care, I care, but not really. So, (laughs) I mean, I want to try to appear compassionate. (laughs) But it's really between you and Jesus anyway. And a few weeks back, I talked about this. The secrets of a happy and a healthy marriage are just this biblical principle Be kind to each other. Be tender-hearted. You know, I told you earlier that I blew it for so long. I spent so much time with not having a tender heart toward Eric. I had a hardened heart toward him. I had so much unforgiveness toward him. And it messed us both up for a long time. And it messed my kids up. They saw it. They saw how I was being toward him. And it was just, I needed to soften my heart. I needed to forgive. It says, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. 
This is the secret of a happy and a healthy marriage. And I'm not trying to speak platitudes. I mean, if you're in a situation where your spouse is not loving you in the way that God has called them, him or her, to love you, I understand that. But again, do it unto the Lord and watch God change your spouse. My pastor used to say, the more you say to your spouse, the less the Holy Spirit feels like he has to. It's like, oh, she's already told him that 12,000 times. (laughs) I heard a really good saying, be gentle in your speech, but violent in your prayer life. Once is a confrontation, twice is nagging. Hit your knees for your spouse. I really mean this. Roll out of bed and pray for your spouse. You are probably the only person on the face of the earth that is going to pray for your spouse every single day. Think about that. I don't pray for all your spouses. I mean, in general, but I don't sit there and name them. But you know, and don't pray tattletale prayers. Pray prayers like, Father, I just ask that you would bless him today at work, Lord, that you would just demonstrate who you are to him. Show him how much you love him, Lord. Give him favor at work. Whatever. Prayers like that, not, Lord, I just pray you would just convict him of picking up his socks. (laughs) Okay? All right. So next week, Ira is going to talk to you again from the same passage, and he's going to bring a different perspective. Um, but right now, I, I have been praying for you guys. I know your marriages are under attack. Not just, you know, not just a little bit. All of the demonic forces of hell want you to get a divorce. Satan has come to steal kill and destroy and that includes marriage because marriage is the profound mystery of Christ and the church the enemy wants to destroy your marriage and he wants to start by speaking lies to your brain so this morning would you mind standing with me here I think there's something that each one of us probably could take away from this but I want to just cover a few areas. Ira, are you going to come up and close this? Yeah, I'd like that. Come on. I'll just leave this here. There we go. Just want to respond to the Lord. How many of you received something that God really spoke to you about? How... You can adjust your attitude. Marriage is such a blessing that God has given us. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, right now we just come before you. And uh, Lord, we surrender. We surrender to your lordship. We surrender our rights. We surrender our expectations. We surrender our own personal desires. We want to give to you right now ourselves. 
Lord, we surrender cultural ideas and thoughts about marriage that are not right. About domination. And we choose, Lord, to be the servant as you chose to be the servant. Thank you, Lord. Just want to give you the opportunity today if you heard about the love of Jesus Christ today. You heard about how he died for us on the cross and he, he put aside all his authority and served us in that way so that we could have relationship with him. And if you're here today and, and you want to meet this wonderful God who loved us and died for us, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you just raise your hand, let me know. I, I want to know Christ. Is there anyone here like that? Anyone here who wants to give their heart to the Lord? Yeah, good. Hallelujah. Lord, we just give that to you, and we ask, God, that you would move upon our hearts. Let us not forget this word. This is the life that you have given us in the kingdom. It is a freeing, blessed life. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to encourage you that the marriage ministry is going to be up here praying for people. So if you'd like to bring your spouse or just come by yourself, uh, or if you're not married, come, because this principle applies to everyone. Come forward and receive prayer, all right? And uh, looking forward to sharing with you more on this next week. All right, have a great week.